Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. I'm going to start calling him Bob Vila. Colby Powell slash Bob Vila just uh, completed his bathroom at his house. That's why we haven't had too many podcasts lately. I've been busy myself with some construction on my house. But uh, Bob Vila, are, are you finished with the bathroom yet? All right, Carson. I, I don't know if I'm dating myself here or if I'm not just on the HGTV scene. Who is Bob? What'd you say? Vila? Who is Bob Vila? I don't know who Bob Vila is. No, is this someone that I should know? He is basically like the preeminent like home improvement guy on television growing up as a kid. Like basically Tim Allen's character on home improvement was basically Bob Vila. Okay, I Googled him, and he looks vaguely familiar, but, yeah, I would not have gotten that reference off the jump. But uh, the bathroom remodel was a major success. A lot of help from uh, my mom, number one. She helped, like, five days in a row, all day, every day, tiling, you know, cutting baseboards, doing sheetrock, all that good stuff. My dad came up. We got all the plumbing done and got the vanity set, and we've got a new bathroom. So hopefully my schedule will start to normalize a little bit. I, I say, hopefully I'm going to Orlando next week. So I guess there's not really that much normalization, but we're kind of uh, back on track here. We are back at it, Carson, for the first time in a while. Is your bathroom orange? No, the bathroom is not orange. This is uh, the bathroom that connects to the nursery. So this is my wife's color scheme in there and in the nursery. My wife is going through a yellow phase right now where she just, she loves you. Pastel yellow, bright yellow, doesn't matter. She loves yellow. So it's, it's essentially black and white with yellow accents, like yellow towels, yellow shower curtain, that kind of stuff. I, I don't know what got into my wife with the yellow. It, it never used to be a thing, but the last couple of months, everything is just yellow. Got to talk her out of the yellow. I mean, I'm no... I'm certainly no interior decorator, but that that doesn't seem like it would age very well and, and very age very slowly. We'll see. I'll I'll take. Uh, I've got some before pictures of the bathroom. I'll take some after pictures once we get the shower curtain hung and the towels and everything up, and we'll see what it looks like. I mean, black and yellow look good together. I've never been a huge yellow guy, but I mean, to be honest, Carson, if she likes it, I'm good. If she likes it, I like it. Happy wife, happy life. That's it's what her. I'm told. So. Um, one more note, Bob Vila actually ap- appeared on various episodes of Home Improvement as himself on uh, the, on Tim Allen's Tool Time show, which was the show within the show on Home Improvement. And uh, he apparently was, Tim, was uh, Tim Taylor's rival in the show. So Bob Vila was like Tim Allen's rival on Home Improvement. Home Improvement was probably a little before your time. I grew up watching that with my dad all the time. Did you ever watch Home Improvement? Home Improvement was barely before my time, but I still ended up watching it a lot because you'd get the old episodes. They'd play it on reruns, and I ended up watching it quite a bit with my dad as well, watching Wilson pop his head over the fence, all that good stuff. So I am familiar with Home Improvement. Okay, so you know Wilson. That's that's most oh, important. Yeah. Uh, uh, you get, everybody knows Wilson. You got to know Wilson. You know, Colby and I, for the listeners, we, we talk kind of a little bit briefly when we come on uh, before we hit record on what we're going to talk about. I did not have home improvement, Bob Vila or, or Tim Allen on the notes. You, you never know where this show's going to go, but uh, that's, that's where we went. But let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming with 
Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And man, oh man, Colby, we got a, a tweet over the weekend. Chris's has unveiled their We Got a Logo 2 t-shirt with Mike Gundy's signature adorned on it. So that's a, a great addition from Chris's. That's Those things are going to sell like hotcakes, Colby. Uh, yeah, We've Got a Logo 2 is like the new thing in Stillwater. It's the new I'm a man, I'm 40. You know, I'm a man, I'm 40 was the thing forever. We've Got a Logo 2 is going to be that thing for a while. So, uh, by the way, it just popped into my brain. Happy 40th birthday to Mike Boynton today. He's a man. He's 40. So, happy birthday to him. Well, he's having a good day uh, coming off the win over Baylor, the school's first uh, win over the number one ranked team in the country on the road. But yeah, so thanks to Chris's for sponsoring the pod and uh, go get you. Uh, we've got a logo to T-shirt. Uh, so you brought it up. I mean, happy birthday to Mike Boynton. And uh, man, what a much needed win on the road at Baylor. I mean, Colby, just the odds were thoroughly stacked against this team coming into this game. You know, three road games in five days. They traveled more than 3,200 miles to Waco. And Colby, they they thoroughly dominated. They only trailed for about 16 seconds when Baylor made the score. Or I'm sorry, two and a half minutes into the game was the only time that uh, that Baylor led. It was four to three at that point. And Oklahoma State built a huge lead at, at halftime and really controlled this game. It got close down the stretch, which we'll talk about. But man, Colby, what a what a much needed, unexpected, monumental win for this program. Yeah, it really, Carson, the eight-day stretch where you had uh, Texas and then West Virginia on the road, Texas Tech on the road, Baylor on the road. I mean, going into those four games, 0-4 was a very real possibility, and they come out 2-2, two and two, and I think 2-2 two and two was probably best-case scenario because you're pretty sizable underdogs in all four of those games, especially the game Saturday against Baylor, and it's just such a boost for this program, and I had two big takeaways from that game Saturday. We had it on in the background while we were working, and then we kind of stepped away from our work at the end of the game to watch it. Bryce Thompson finally looked like what we were told Bryce Thompson was going to look like. He finally came out and was like, you know what? I'm McDonald's All-American. I'm a five-star recruit. I was the best player in the state. It's time for me to go out and be that guy. And he was that guy on Saturday down the stretch. One-point lead. You're going to the line for a one-and-one situation. He had only shot 21 free throws on the season. Carson, this was the 16th game of the year. He had shot 21 free throws. He'd made 13 of them. For the mathematicians at home, that's 62%. He steps to the line, smooth as ice on the first one and the second one, and then he comes down, gets a steal, and again, 16 seconds, you're still going down in the one-and-one scenario, knocks them both down again, gets the dunk at the end. That was a huge, huge game for Bryce Thompson. And Carson, the hope is that he can take that and feed off of it, and he gains some confidence, and that can snowball into him becoming a big offensive weapon for Oklahoma State. Uh, because right now, until Avery Anderson kind of finds himself, he's in a little bit of a slump right now. I do expect him to find his, his offensive game. But until he finds it, Oklahoma State needs some guys to step up and score. Bryce Thompson was that guy on Saturday, and hopefully he can continue to be that guy for a while. He had pretty much become somewhat of an afterthought. I mean, I felt kind of silly watching the game, Colby. I'm sure you probably did too in a way. You know, we talked so much about the offensive struggles from Oklahoma State, and rightfully so. We're, we're kind of wondering – you know, past Avery Anderson and maybe some some Keelan Boone three-pointers, where's the offense going to come from? It's like we just forget Bryce Thompson's even on the team. You know, former five-star, we all know his accolades coming out of high school, transferring in from Kansas. We weren't even really suggesting him to this point. He had kind of 
kind of fallen into the pack uh, so much so. But you're right. He he totally dominated the final minutes of this game. I mean, 19 points, 7 of 15 from the floor. He's only one of four from three. I mean, the only player to hit more than one three was, was Keelan Boone. But, man, Colby, like as much as we've talked about Avery Anderson having to get it going, and certainly they need Keelan Boone shooting, Bry- Bryce Thompson – is a huge factor on this team. And, and I neglected it. I think you think you and I both did for good reason because he hadn't been a factor to this point. But I think he kind of lifts the ceiling quite a bit for what I thought this team could be to this coming into this Baylor game because he was so much of an afterthought. Yeah, he really was. And, and I mean, he was a guy that you thought would be front and center. I mean, you thought he'd always be the guy that you're looking at to go out and make a big play. And he had become an afterthought. And I mean, that's Oklahoma State has a scoring problem, has an offense problem because they just do not shoot the three ball very well. 31.3% on Saturday, and it didn't hurt them because, look, if this team does one thing very well, you know, we got a tweet last week. Somebody's like, man, I love Mike Boynton, but he just doesn't know offense. And I'm like, is it that he doesn't know offense or is it that he just doesn't have any shooters? And I, I don't know. It's a chicken and the egg conversation because the offense has struggled. One thing this team does incredibly well is defend the length of Oklahoma State gave Baylor a ton of problems. Oklahoma State only wins the turnover battle by one on Saturday, but late in that game, I think that you could tell Baylor was bothered by Oklahoma State's length. They, they were not able to get their shots off as easy as they have at other times. Flagler goes one of 10 from the floor, one of their best players. Uh, he led Baylor in minute. Pardon me, LJ Cryer led Baylor in minutes. Uh, Flagler played 30 minutes and goes one of 10. So defensively, things have been fine for Oklahoma State. The length is great. Everything's good on that end of the floor. Offensively, I mean, save the game against Texas where Keelan Boone went nuts from three. They've just struggled to shoot the ball. And at that point, you've got to have somebody step up. We thought that that guy, as far as scoring goes, was going to be Avery Anderson. Again, I mentioned he's in a slump, three points on Saturday against Baylor. But if Bryce Thompson could be that guy, that would take a lot of pressure off Avery Anderson, who defenses have clearly been keyed in on to this point in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a way, with Bryce Thompson sealing the win for Oklahoma State, I think if you just go back to the first half and really the way this game played out, I'm sure Mike Boynton's been pushing his team for this, but it really felt like they truly found their identity against Baylor. And what their identity is, is to play absolutely suffocating defense and getting out and running on offense. Don't, don't settle for half-court offense. So what they did in the first half, Colby, they led by as many as 18 in the first half. Baylor shot 26% from the field, just 2 of 13 from deep, and they had 11 fast break points in the first half. They, When Baylor missed, the, missed their shots, and they missed plenty of them, they were grabbing it and going. And to me, that has to be their identity moving forward. I'm sure that's what Mike, again, is, is hammering into their heads. They have to know they're not a half-court team, and they have to know that their number one strength of this team is defense. And it felt like to me, Colby, and hopefully we, we see this as the season plays out even further, to me, that's that's their identity. And, and Oklahoma State folks are no strangers to, to just playing suffocating defense. So that's that's something I think the fans will, will, will really like. But I think it, it way more suits their their offensive woes to just play fast, get misses and go. Yeah, I think it does to an extent. I do think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because how does that impact your defense if you really try to speed up? You know what I mean? If you really try to speed up and then you get into a race with Baylor, do you want to be racing with Baylor 
or, or do you want to slow it down and make it ugly? Because Saturday, Oklahoma State slowed it down and made it ugly. It was 34-22 at halftime, and then Oklahoma State get, gets outscored by five in the second half after leading by 17 at one point. That's about when we flipped it over is when Oklahoma State was up by 17 because I checked the score, expecting Baylor to be up by 20, and I was shocked whenever I saw that Oklahoma State, I think it was like 47-29, Oklahoma State was up whenever we flipped it over. So I, I do think that they need to play faster because that's it's going to benefit them on the offensive end. There just needs to be a balance, I think. You know, um, go go stretches in the game where you just tell them, go, run, go as fast as you can, play as fast as you can, up-tempo, and then go seven or eight minutes where you just bring things to an absolute dead crawl and you take the rhythm out of the game and you make it ugly because this conference, Carson, is so good. And I know we don't all want to watch ugly basketball, but sometimes ugly basketball is how you win whenever you're having to face Baylor and West Virginia and Kansas and Iowa State and Texas Tech all back to back to back to back to back, not to mention Texas. Oklahoma's got a good team. It's just this conference is such a grind that I think that there are going to be times where Oklahoma State is just going to have to slow it down to a crawl, make it ugly, and then hope that they make the plays in the last 30 seconds. That's exactly what happened Saturday in Waco. No, and, and that I agree with. I, I agree that at times they have to slow the game down just because they're their offensive limitations. I think it's just situational. Coming off misses, there's only one speed to go, and that's that's fast break, get up and down the floor. Now, out of a made basket or a, a timeout, I'm not suggesting that they just push it the whole time. But I don't know. I, I, I really like when they off misses, they, they push the pace. And, and I would even like – I thought the, the depth was was fully on display. We've talked so much about how much – Mike Boynton finally has depth on this team. All nine, all nine guys that played uh, really. Uh, wait a second here. I got my stat mixed up. Never mind. <laughs> Get that stat I was about to read. But th- their depth was on full display, Colby, to where I wouldn't even mind. And, and Mike Boynton's done this from time to time over his tenure. I wouldn't mind a little full court press. Use that defense as a, as an offensive weapon. Get get more turnovers. Uh, they, they forced 11 against Baylor. I think they could have an opportunity to force even more with with the amount of depth that they have because I think that's a that's a real strength that Mike has. He may not have, you know, a bunch of firepower on offense, but he's got a lot of athletic bodies to throw at people. Yeah, absolutely he does. And that's where Oklahoma State thrives, right? It, it's not with shooting. You know, Kansas came into Boone, uh, not Boone, Pickens, Gallagher-Iben just absolutely lit it up from beyond the arc in that second half. And there was just nothing Oklahoma State could do to keep up. But what Oklahoma State can do is Oklahoma State can out-athlete you. Bryce Williams can out-athlete you. So can Bryce Thompson uh, and, and, you know, Rondell Walker. You know, what? let me get your thoughts on Rondell Walker this year because – I don't know. Obviously, Cade made things a lot easier for everybody last year. And, and I think that we're seeing that now. And, and last year, there were even times when people were saying, well, this this team could be better without Cade because it'll, it'll be more team-oriented basketball. And I think we're seeing now that that's not the case. Having the number one pick in the NBA draft makes your team a lot better because it makes things easier for everyone else. But Rondell Walker has been kind of reduced to a bench guy playing less than 20 minutes a game. And his shot has kind of gone. And I just... I don't know what to make of Rondell Walker right now. What 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 is going on there, Carson? It's a good question. I think that's one of the biggest mysteries of the season so far because that that's a guy that at times I I feel like has been kind of the heartbeat of the team at times when he's been out there last year with his just You, you want to split from last year to this year? Give him to me. So last year he averaged 7.8 points per game. This year 3.6, less than half 
this game, uh, or pardon me, this season. Uh, let's see, field goal percentage last year, 42.3. This year, 30.3. 12 percentage points lower from the floor. Three-point percentage, 33 last year. 21.1 this year. He's also down from uh, three rebounds to two rebounds per game, and he's down from 25 and a half minutes to 18.9 minutes. I just, I don't know what to make of that, Carson. Maybe that is just the Kate effect, getting him better looks last year. But, I mean, those numbers are astonishing, astonishingly different for just one season to the next. Oh, it is. And I think that's just part of being a young player. I mean, you come in, you play right away as a freshman. And you don't really have it all figured out yet. And so maybe maybe Mike's trying to, to show him that he doesn't. I'm not, I'm not sure why he's not been as effective and certainly not playing as much as I maybe would have thought. I mean, he did play 18 minutes against Baylor, but, but you're right. That's a, that's, a, that's a key point moving forward in the season, I think, is, is what Rondell can do for them getting on the floor more and certainly playing like we saw as a freshman. But, I mean, um, Colby, I got a trivia question for you. Do you Hit know who – the last time Oklahoma State beat the number one team in the AP poll, who was leading scorer for Oklahoma State? Uh, Carson, hit that at me again. I had to mute my computer. For some reason, I have videos playing. Probably because I'm on ESPN and these videos just keep auto-playing. Hit me with your trivia question again. Uh, the last time Oklahoma State beat the number one team in the country, who was the leading scorer? Oh, man. Um, the last time they beat the number 2010. one team in the country. Was it 10? I thought it was 12. 2010. 2010, the leading scorer would have been uh, – show me LeBron Nash. A little bit before his time, uh, James Anderson. Oh, that's, man. That's not really the reason I brought it up. Do you know who was the second leading scorer for Oklahoma State? This one's a lot harder. <laughs> second – oh, a second leading scorer on a James Anderson team is, is anybody's guess. I have no idea. Matt Pilgrim. <laughs> Do you remember that name at all? No, no, not even a little bit. Matt Pilgrim was a good player. I think he was a transfer, and he's famous for getting ejected for an elbow, which I thought it's that move where someone's in your face and you kind of move the ball from side to side, and he, he caught a dude with an elbow and got ejected. So that was Matt Pilgrim's uh, one of the reasons he became famous nationwide. But I thought that was a name from the past that, that I had to bring up. But, um, Colby, great win for Oklahoma State. Obviously, things don't get any easier. Um, you got TCU on Wednesday, then at Texas on Saturday, and just the beat rolls on. But, again, Colby, I, I thought this was so encouraging. Obviously, you beat the number one team in the country. It's encouraging. But, again, just they only trailed for 16 seconds in this game. They didn't just beat Baylor. It reminded me of the, the time uh, when they beat – didn't they beat Baylor last year and just thoroughly dominated that game? Or, no, I think they led a majority of that game and ended up yep. losing. But, again, I, I think it's thoroughly encouraging yeah, they, not they only that Baylor they won, but the, the yeah, way they, they won. Baylor, yeah, they beat Baylor last year with Cade for sure. Okay, that's right. Well, that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is just not only they beat Baylor, the manner in which they did, I think will give them a lot of confidence moving forward. Yeah, it definitely will. Last year they, uh, they beat Baylor. Oh, yeah, it was in the Big 12 – tournament they beat Baylor 83-74 in the Big 12 tournament K dropped 25-8-5 in that game so by, by the way we talk about the scoring problems that Oklahoma State has I just pulled up the, the uh, schedule for Oklahoma State last year and it shows the leading scorer for every game just high points on ESPN and all but about six of them say Cunningham 
So, I mean, you're looking for the scoring problems. There's your scoring problems. 25, 29, 24, 40, 26. Uh, I mean, 25, 25, 29. You just lost a lot of points, and they're having to kind of figure out where those points are going to come from this year. Uh, and they're learning on the fly. I mean, they're, they're putting the, pl- the, the plane together while they're in the sky. So it does get a little bit easier moving forward. You've got TCU Wednesday. Then you've got back-to-back ranked opponents with Texas and Iowa State. But then, Carson, five games and six out of seven where you don't have a ranked opponent. That's at Florida, Kansas State, OU, TCU, West Virginia, and then Kansas State again after a trip to Lawrence. So if Oklahoma State is going to make some headway, if this is going to be a team that goes 500 or better in this conference, the best conference in the country, I think this next seven-game stretch where six of the seven are against unranked opponents is a big stretch because three of your final four are against – I mean, your final four games are Baylor, OU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, which will not be easy. So this this five-game stretch coming up here in the next couple of weeks is going to be big for Oklahoma State yeah and there's just I know they're they're not ranked coming up but man just there's no gimmies in this league I mean every game is is losable so that's that's the tough part about playing in the big 12 but it also will help you come tournament time if even if you're below 500 in conference play I think you'll be you'll be worthy candidate for the NCAA tournament obviously NCAA ban notwithstanding just overall in terms of all the big 12 teams but um uh, it's time for bullets and BBs, Colby. What do you got for me on uh, on bullet? Bullets. How about we head over to the Buffalo Bills Twitter from Saturday night, which showed our man Thurman Thomas on the field before the game in the end zone, pumping up the crowd. Thurman Thomas, you know, he's famous for the cabbage patch. He hit the gritty on him, Carson. He hit the gritty on him to get him fired up before the beatdown of the New England Patriots Saturday night. So my bullet has to go to the OG Cowboy dancing in the end zone, Thurman Thomas. I do that every week now. Uh, he has to, right? I mean, you go out, they scored on their first seven drives after Thurman Thomas hit the gritty. A coincidence? I think not. Are they, they're home again, right? Next week? Uh, they are not. They are at Arrowhead Stadium. Well, hey, he can make a road trip. He could, he could do way, it in the locker room with him before the game. By the way, I, I haven't actually looked, but I want to look right now and see what, uh, see what tickets to the Bills-Chiefs game this week cost because, Ooh. let's be honest, the Bills and the Chiefs are the two best teams in that conference, but they're playing in the conference semis because Tennessee backdoored their way into the one seed. Uh, so Chiefs-Bills... I mean, I, I can't imagine there's a ticket under 300 for this game. I'm pulling it up right now. About two seconds. You give your bullet, and then I'll have prices for us. ESPN says tickets as low as $115. But that's got to be like the last row at Arrowhead for that, showing, for that. I'm showing 120 gets you in the very corner, about as far up and as far back as you can go for 120 oh, which oh. honestly isn't bad just to even be in the stadium. And it's got to be really cold and windy up there that high. Yeah, I went to the AFC Championship game the year Brady beat Mahomes in overtime uh, whenever he was still in New England, the, the last Super Bowl that they won. And we sat all the, we sat in the end zone, and I think there was one row behind us. So I don't think we were actually up against the wall. I think there was one row behind us, but it was still awesome to be in the stadium. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I'm really happy. Like, I know Kansas City now is kind of a big bandwagon. Everyone loves Mahomes, and they're, they're a fun team to watch. But – They've had great fans when they weren't making the playoffs. Like that's always been one of the toughest places to play in the NFL. So I'm I'm happy for all the all the Chiefs fans that happen to listen to us. It's it's long overdue. And man, they they got a great chance to win another Super Bowl. I think I think they're they're hitting their stride at the right time. So that that'll be a fun game for sure. And I, I actually grew up a Bills fan because of Thurman Thomas. Did you know that, Colby? 
I did not know that. That's great, though. Thurman's awesome. The growing up in Oklahoma, obviously, we don't have an NFL team. And I think everyone gravitated towards the Cowboys because they were great and rightfully so back then. I was a Bills fan. I had Buffalo Bills sheets on my bed as a kid because Thurman Thomas, obviously, connected to Oklahoma State. They ran kind of the no huddle spread offense before anyone even thought to do that back in the day. They were awesome on Tech Mobile. But uh, Colby, it led to a lot of disappointment for young Carson losing four straight Super Bowls. Everyone made fun of me at, 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 element, at Will Rogers Elementary School. So it, they were great. And it, it's unbelievable to make four straight Super Bowls, but uh, a lot of heartbreak in there. Squinky apparently followed, followed uh, Thurman to, to Buffalo, unfortunately. That's all sports is, is heartbreaks. We pick these teams whenever we're kids, and then we grow up, and they just break our hearts year after year. Just rip them out of our chest, tear them in two, and step on them. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, my bullet going to go to the aforementioned Bryce Thompson. It's been a long, tough road for a kid that's only a sophomore in college. I mean, he commits to Kansas, which is just bucket list material. If you play basketball to play at Fog Allen, gets hurt, transfers to Oklahoma State, hadn't done much this season. What a way to kind of put your name in the, into the college basketball world than the way Bryce Thompson did to score 19 to upset the number one ranked team in the country on the road. First time Oklahoma State's ever done that. For a local kid from Tulsa who's been through a lot of adversity, you got to give it up to Bryce Thompson. I love the, the shot of him in the locker room getting doused with water from his teammates. That That's a long time coming. And I know his dad had to be happy too watching it, you know, a local uh, Tulsa legend himself. So that was a, that's, that's a clear winner for me for my bullet. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I mean, Bryce Thompson deserves it. He had a big game, and, and I mean, you could make the argument that he is the reason Oklahoma State won that game. He just It wasn't even just the free throws at the end. He had some big mid-range jumpers midway through the second half whenever Baylor was kind of chipping away at that lead. They'd get it down to nine, and he'd hit a mid-range jumper, get it back up to 11. Uh, so that's a good one. Carson, my BB is pretty obvious. I think that you could hear it in my voice when I was talking about the heartbreak uh, of being a sports fan. Carson, so... You grew up with Buffalo Bill sheets on the bed. I grew up with Dallas Cowboys. I was born in 1992. I I'm too young. I don't remember the glory days. My entire life as a fan of the National Football League is mediocrity and heartbreak. I saw a stat earlier today. Colin Kaepernick has more playoff wins the last 25 years than the Dallas Cowboys, and I almost – I almost puked. He, had, he just had one run where he won like three playoff games. That's more than Dallas has won in the last 25 years. And the incompetence with which Mark Mike McCarthy's guys played yesterday was astounding. It was one of the most dumbfounding performances I have ever seen. The incompetence from that coaching staff and from the players, namely Dak Prescott, who had no idea what the hell was going on at the end of the game and then wanted to credit the fans for throwing stuff at the officials when the officials had nothing to do with the outcome of that game. You're the idiot who didn't take the ball and give it to the ref. I just... Everything about it, Carson, they did everything they could to find the most heartbreaking way to lose. And, and when you thought that it was over, then, you know, you get the false start on Trent Williams because he's not set. You get the ball back, and they give you hope with this crafty little hook and ladder. And, and you know it's false hope. You know that it's going to kill you about three minutes down the road, but you still get excited, and it just hurts that much more. Carson, I'm hurting. I, it's going to take a day or two to get over. I, I really don't know when or if ever I'm going to get over it. It's the hope that kills you, according to Ted Lasso. It's the hope that kills you. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah, and 
on, on the Cowboys. See, I, I was old enough to watch their Super Bowl run, obviously, as they were beating my, my Buffalo Bills as a young lad. And this all comes back to Jerry Jones. So my BB goes to Jerry Jones since we're on the, on the topic. He had the best talent evaluator slash drafter, I think, in the history of the NFL in Jimmy Johnson. All that guy did was draft Hall of Famers and back-to-back-to-back drafts. They're winning Super Bowls. And what happens? Jerry's not getting enough credit. So he runs Jimmy Johnson off. And since then, they have been mired in mediocrity and barely can win a playoff game. And so it's kind of – it's for Jerry Jones, but the day he hires another lackey in Mike McCarthy, I was tweeting it at the time. This is not hindsight. Mike McCarthy squandered Aaron Rodgers' prime. You want to talk about the floor for a quarter? Aaron Rodgers might be the best quarterback to ever play. His resume is never going to approach Tom Brady's. We all can admit that. But just from a pure talent and pure quarterback, Colby, he can take just about anybody to the NFC title game, which he's probably going to do again this year. Aaron Rodgers has made one Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy as the head coach for most of his career. And granted, they won it. They beat the Steelers. But to me, that's the absolute floor for what Aaron Rodgers' prime should have been. And if you go back and watch those, those Packers games, we all, we all lived and we all watched them. Very similar to this, watching Mike McCarthy try to coach against Shanahan. It was just a complete coaching mismatch. But again, if you want to point blame at Mike McCarthy – Point it up to the owner's box because Jerry Jones has run this franchise into the ground football-wise. He's making tons of money. He can still call him America's team if he wants, but all the blame should be put at Jerry Jones's feet. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jerry Jones let Mike McCarthy trick him into even making the hire because you, do you remember all that crap whenever McCarthy got hired about how he went to a log cabin for a year and, you know, no TVs, just studying, just studying, studying, studying football. The hell were you studying for a year, Mike McCarthy? QB draw, 14 penalties. The 14 penalties, I was going to say it's worse than the QB draw. The QB draw is really bad. I don't understand the QB draw. You get across midfield, you got 14 seconds left, you get no shots at the end zone. But the 14 penalties, two defensive holdings and an illegal hands to the face late in the fourth quarter on two defensive holdings on run plays, Carson. And they were obvious. I just, second most penalties in the league throughout the season. They exceeded their penalty yard average by about 35 yards yesterday in what was it's just, it's amazing to me that you can coach the most undisciplined team in the NFL, lose in the most embarrassing way possible. Everybody knows that you are a huge part of the problem and you just keep your job. I, I just, I don't get it. I, I mean, look, McCarthy is going to be back next year. And I can say with 100% certainty, not 99.9, not 99, not 90, 100% certainty, the Dallas Cowboys have been eliminated from contention to win the Super Bowl before the season kicks off because Mike McCarthy will not be able to get it done. And it's Jerry Jones' fault because he let him trick him into making the hire because he spent a, a year in a cabin studying out in the woods. What an absolute joke just this whole situation is that you've got all this talent all this young talent Michael Parsons oh my god and you can't do anything with it because you've got absolute numbskulls making the decisions that's well said I don't think I can add much to that <laughs> you know I was considering for my BB your uh, your podcast partner on the 73rd whole podcast do it, do it. Uh, Sam Humphreys 
who all he does is tweet about the Philadelphia Eagles and pokes fun at all you Cowboys fans, posts a picture of him in like all Chiefs gear. He's like, well, this is my AFC team. I, I, I could have given Sam a BB for being the Drake of Oklahoma, meaning, you know, Drake the rapper obviously is just the biggest Fairweather fan in the history of sports. Should I, should I give Sam a BB for that? Okay, so l- let me give you some context here. We recorded our golf pod this morning, and I called him out on it. I said, I said, Sam, on the air, I said, Sam, you can't just root for every team, and then you have no pain because you're just rooting for everyone, and whoever wins, you're going to be happy. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me explain yesterday to you. So he's an Eagles fan. That's lifelong through and through. He's an Eagles fan. That's his thing. So that, that's understood. And then he started rooting for the Cowboys. Well, he had placed bets on the Cowboys, and he had picked them to win the Super Bowl. And I'm pretty sure after he lost his Eagles bet, he doubled down on his Cowboys bet. So he's rooting for the Cowboys. I'll, I'll give, I'll cut him some slack on his Kansas City fandom because he did play golf at UMKC for a few years. He lived in Kansas City. He, he was kind of engulfed in the Chief Kingdom while he was up there. So a little bit of a pass on, on the Chiefs Kingdom. But I told him this morning on the podcast, I said, don't you ever root for my Cowboys again. We don't want you. We don't need you. You don't get to be an Eagles fan and then turn around and root for the Cowboys. Absolutely not. I wonder if he would have had all Chiefs gear on if the Chiefs were still like, you know, seven and nine. I, I wonder if he would have adopted them as his AFC team if they weren't, you know, going to the Super Bowl every other year. That's a great question. I do wonder that. Yeah, that's a great, I no idea. I mean, everybody loves a winner, Carson. That's not, that's not singular to Sam. That's not singular to the Chiefs. Every time a team pops up and everybody knows they're going to be good for five to 10 years, everybody jumps on. Yep, that's true. I'll, I'll spare him a BB this episode, but when he's, when he's rocking his Chiefs gear, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, I might, I might change my BB to him, but I'm, it's all in good fun, Sam. I uh, love the 73rd Hole podcast. You guys do a great job with that as well. Uh, let's get to the uh, Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, I, I don't know if we've had this conversation yet. Do you like the orange basketball uniforms? You know, those, those are still somewhat new. I believe they didn't start wearing those kind of full-time on the basis they are now until Travis Ford got to town. Are you a fan of the orange basketball uniforms? I am, but they're not my favorites. My, my favorites are the throwback, which I know, you know, everybody loves the throwbacks. You can't wear the throwbacks every day. I get it. Uh, I do like the oranges. I wouldn't say that they're, they're my favorite uniforms that they've ever had, but they're a good uniform. Hey, maybe it's just because I grew up where they always wore white at home and they always wore black on the road. The blacks are my absolute favorite. I mean, I, I would wear I would wear black on the road every single game because it's a it's a mentality thing and it's just kind of what I'm used to tradition wise. But I don't hate them. I just I prefer the black on the road. But um, that's just me. I, and I don't mind having orange in the mix. It was kind of a special deal back in the day since they never wore orange uniforms. I remember they busted them out just like once or twice a year, uh, usually maybe in the all college. But I remember Gottlieb and Jason Keep and those guys would wear a special orange version. It was like it made them kind of special in a way. So I, I kind of wish they would do that again, but they don't consult me on these things, but I just want to get your thoughts on that. They should, they should consult you. Yeah. I'm, I'm a uniform guru, right? They should. Uh, 100%, absolutely. You're, you're, you're way more tuned into the uniform stuff than I am. I like it. And obviously Oklahoma state has great uniforms, but you're tuned into it on a different level. Uh, speaking of tuning in, Robert Allen's pretty tuned in from uh, the Pope's report on the defensive coordinator search. 
And he actually has some quotes from Mike Gundy, who appeared on his radio show. Uh, appears Mike Gundy's prepared to hire a defensive coordinator from outside the staff. We, of course, remember there were three play callers in the bowl game. Got off to a slow start in the first half, but did well in the second half. And he says, quote, again, this is from Polk's report and Robert Allen, quote from Mike Gundy, I was considering up to a few days ago hiring from within. I've decided to hire outside now for a variety of reasons. We've had a couple of guys inside the staff that are deserving the way it all panned out this year with what is going on. Then I need to bring in an experienced play caller. I had to clear all that up. Those discussions with my defensive staff, people know the direction we are going now. He also referenced kind of wanting to wait until the NFL season wraps up because he said about eight years ago, he tried to hire somebody from the NFL. And then once all the, once the dust settles in the season, he went and coached linebackers for an NFL team. So I think he's waiting for the dust to settle um, Colby, but you've kind of, you've been on this. I, I kind of thought he was going to hire from within, but um, it appears he's going outside the staff, which I think you, you were predicting. Yeah, I just thought, you know, he just went inside with Casey Dunn. It's been, you know, mixed signals, uh, not mixed signals, mixed uh, reactions to, to Casey Dunn's first two years at the helm for Oklahoma State. Obviously, everybody leaves the season with a good taste in their mouth after the, the Fiesta Bowl and the win over Notre Dame and Spencer Sanders going absolutely nuts. So hopefully that can continue. I just thought, you know, he's going to go outside. I didn't think that there was a, a super obvious candidate. I thought that there were a few guys who could have gotten promoted to that role who were on staff. But, you know, it, there wasn't this obvious guy that it's like, he's earned it, he deserves it, he has to get it. If he doesn't get it, it is an absolute travesty. I didn't think that that guy was necessarily there. And there's just a, a ton of talented candidates. I'm just, I'm really surprised that we we don't have one yet. I'm, I'm surprised that we don't know yet who that guy's going to be. It's January 17th. National championship game was a week ago. I mean, this stuff has, has pretty much started to take shape around the country. And Oklahoma State still doesn't have a defensive coordinator. So, I mean, any guesses on timeline? Surely by the end of the month, we'll know who the D.C. is, right? I mean, uh, in the article on Pokes Report, it basically references February. I think Gundy's going to wait till the NFL is done moving and shaking in terms of, you know, coaching hires, those coaches hiring their staffs. So I think uh, it could happen in February is kind of what uh, what Robert references in his article. And he also, he lists a few candidates, um, a lot of them from the NFL. There were a couple of interesting ones to me. Uh, number one is Charlie Strong. He was the outside linebackers coach in Jacksonville with his good friend, Urban Meyer. We all know who Charlie Strong is from days coaching at Texas. And uh, Colby, he was probably the best defensive coordinator in the country for before Meyer even got to Florida, Meyer retained him for a reason. Now, whether he'd want to come be the Oklahoma State uh, defensive coordinator, I don't know, but I thought that was an interesting name, as well as this is a name that will probably be divisive, uh, but I've always liked this guy as a coach. Jeremy Pruitt, who was the Tennessee head coach, got fired there. He was the defense coordinator for Nick Saban at Alabama, but before that, he really made his name as a defense coordinator at Florida State. I obviously follow Florida State pretty closely, and he did a hell of a job, was an excellent recruiter, recruited really well at Tennessee, in fact, too. Uh, that would be a big-time hire, in my opinion. So those are just some of the some of the names that he lists. He also lists a few uh, position coaches in the NFL. But Colby kind of sounds like he might be leaning toward a, an NFL coach to bring in. Yeah, which I don't hate at all. I mean, obviously those guys have a ton of experience. It's just – 
I just want somebody aggressive. I, I can't go from Jim Knowles and the way he called defense to a guy who just wants to sit back and keep everything in front and just slowly chip away. I, I can't go to that, Carson. Once you've had the guy who blitzes all night, you, you, you can't go back. So whoever it is, it better be somebody who's willing to dial up that, that zero blitz, that guy who's willing to bring seven, whether it's, you know, second and nine or third and one, you can bring the house uh, because Jim Knowles was so good at that and so good at timing it up, always at the right spot. So whoever it is, I hope it's somebody who's aggressive. You think they're going to lead the nation in sacks again next year? They better, right? Uh, good question. I mean, you lose Jim Knowles. I don't know what the scheme is going to be, but you didn't lose Colin Oliver and you're getting Trace Ford back. So I, I don't hate their chances. Yeah. Brock Martin coming back as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they lose Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper, uh, Jaden Jernigan, Israel Antwine announces he's going to the NFL draft process. That's a big loss. I think he was kind of one of the more underheralded guys on the defensive line, just really added to the depth and really was a disruptor. But they didn't. Uh, Brendan Evers did announce he is coming back, so they're not losing everybody on that defensive line. That, that's a huge, huge get for Oklahoma State to get him back, Cole, because we've talked about him a lot on the show. Uh, he he's a big time cog in the middle, and he'll he'll certainly help out the next defensive coordinator. Yeah, absolutely, Will. That's big for Oklahoma State to retain him. You know, you you have a great season like that. You have a great defense like that. Inevitably, you're going to lose some guys. Obviously, you lose your D.C. He goes to Ohio State. One of your starting safeties goes with him. You got guys going to the NFL. I don't blame them one bit. Go play on Sundays. Go live the dream. Go get your money. But as many guys as can stay is big for whoever's going to inherit that job because this team's still going to have a lot of talent even with what they've lost. Now, do, do I think they're going to be as good as they were last year when it was the best defense in school history and arguably uh, one of the three best in the country? No, I, I would expect there to be somewhat of a drop-off. But as long as you can make that minimal, if the defense ha goes from a 10 to an 8 or a 9 and the offense goes from a 4 to a 7, then all of a sudden you might be in business. So uh, it, it's got to be complimentary football, Carson. It does. Um, <laughs> trying to find this tweet from a friend of the show, uh, Adam Lunt. He said he was asking for nicknames for a three-man front of Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, and Brock Martin. And there were some great, great names on this list. If I can just find it, I can't find it right away. He tweets too much. Actually, he doesn't tweet that much. I'm just, okay, here we go. There was a great suggestion on here, um, several. So a three-man front of Brock Martin, Trace Ford, and Colin Oliver. Rick Ellis suggests BDE, big defensive end, of course. <laughs> Not uh, what you might think that means. I don't know. That one uh, might be a little, uh, little too PG-13. There was one uh, called Payne County, spelled P-A-I-N. So, uh, yeah, they, they do lose some on defense, Colby. But, man, get the idea of having Brock Martin, Trace Ford, and Colin Oliver getting after the quarterback, I think they're going to be okay on defense next year. That's just me. Yeah, I think they're going to be okay on defense next year. Again, this year was a 10, and I can't imagine it's less than an 8 next year. And, again, we don't know who the hire is going to be. Somebody could come in and fall flat on his face trying to call plays, but I can't imagine with the amount of talent that's coming back that this defense takes too big of a dip. You just you lose Knowles, you lose Rodriguez, you lose Harper, you lose Harvell Peel. It's going to be – you're going to have to make up for that, but I think Oklahoma State's more than equipped to do so. And how about this? How about this secondary? And I'm just going to list all the guys that that I think are going to play a ton. 
Jared Bernard Converse, Jabbar Muhammad, who was absolutely sensational in the Fiesta Bowl, Thomas Harper, Jason Taylor, Kendall Daniels, Corey Black. That do anything for you? It does a lot for me, Carson. Does a lot I mean, for me. I thought Corey uh, I mean, Black and Muhammad were awesome in the Fiesta Bowl. Oh, Muhammad was one of the stars of the game. I mean, he was. We were giving him bullets after the game because he was unbelievable. It's this guy. I mean, you don't hear his name all season, and then he comes out against Notre Dame and is just an absolute electric playmaker. I mean, he was attached to the hips of those Notre Dame receivers. So I'm excited to see what he can do with a full 12 games late. Yeah, me too. Again, I I can't wait for football season. We we're now entering that long wait. That's just an eternity for college football, but. Oklahoma State was on a lot of the preseason, you know, or not the preseason, the the way too early top 25 polls. I saw them on, ranked as high as 10 on some of those. So I, it kind of goes back to what I talked about going into the Fiesta Bowl, Colby. I, I really think, <laughs> excuse me, even though bowl games essentially, if you're not in the playoff, are meaningless exhibitions, quote unquote. I do think they earned a lot of respect nationally because they're, they're way higher on these way too early top 25 polls than I, I can ever really remember. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, there's still going to be a couple. There's going to be a handful of guys out there who throw out their way too early top 25 and Oklahoma State's not in it at all. And we saw that last week, the week before. Ignore those people. Just ignore those people. Don't, don't give them the clicks. Don't give them the attention that they desire for taking a team that really was impressive in, in finishing the season as I believe the seventh ranked team in the country with three wins over top 10 opponents is like, well, they lose their defensive coordinator and a couple of key guys on that defense. Yeah. Look at everything they bring back, not only on that side of the ball, but also on offense where they're bringing a lot back. Yes. Losing a little bit in the running back room. I think they'll be able to make it up there. This Oklahoma state team top 10. Yeah. I mean, you lose some things going into next year. So if, if somebody throws out their preseason top 10 and Oklahoma State's not in it, I don't think it's a travesty. But I mean, if you don't have Oklahoma State in your top 15 and certainly in your top 20, I'd really love to, to, to see your logic behind some of the teams that you would have to put ahead of them to have Oklahoma State that low because I, I can't make sense of it. Well, you know Texas will be ahead of them in probably the official preseason poll just because yeah, that's what sense. people do. Yeah, it makes sense if you don't think about it. Yeah. Well, and one thing's for sure, they better let Spencer Cook. Let Spencer cook. Let Spencer cook. Let him do what he did in the Fiesta Bowl. Spread him out. Get him in the get him in the hurry up and let him cook. So that's that's what I want to see next year. Colby, anything else to add before we get out of here? Uh, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it all. Hopefully, we'll be back later in the week recapping another Cowboy basketball victory. All right. Uh, consult Bob Vila if you have any issues with the new bathroom. All right, I will get after it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Bob. And as always, go folks.